Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs, and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening, and enjoy the show. Welcome to Season 6, Episode 20 of Horror Hill. I'm your host, Eric Peabody. And Jesus, is it hot out or what? 
When it gets this scorching outside, it means it's time for a trip to the land of ice and snow from the midnight sun where the hot springs flow. I've always wanted to say that. Season six is getting dangerously close to coming to a close. And I once again wanted to show some horror-filled love to those who have stayed with us through the transition. We see you, and we hear you. And as for the patrons of the Pinnacle Pub, they're about to settle in for a cold night, where they fear they have more to worry about outside than just the rising snow. Speaking of patrons, you're listening to the standard edition of this program. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy ad-free versions of this and all our other episodes, as well as hundreds of tales from our audio archives dating back to 2012, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today to get instant access from our friends at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Did I mention they're ad-free? Thank you for your support. Now, allow me to escort you to a place where the sun dies and nightmares come to life. Welcome, listener, to the Horror Hill. You haven't found the darkness. The darkness has found you. And now, from author Pendleton Weiss, I give you Settle Ye Wanderer. That strong, storming wind had picked up again, throwing the snow sideways past the windows in a blur. Those inside the Pinnacle Pub could only imagine how bad it was further up the mountain pass. They had seen a few large shipping trucks pressing onward to make it beyond the snow's reach before the roads became impassable. A decent number had chosen caution over valor and remained parked in the large lot to the right of the establishment. The snow was starting to hide their large back wheels, and it seemed unlikely that it was going to relent with any piece of tire still exposed. Those seated inside had not bothered to check their watches as the other trucks thundered past, but intuition and experience had instilled doubt and concern for those that continued. The tall trees that encircled the roadway made it hard to judge the clouds beyond those directly above. Maybe they sat under the very edge of them, and the heavy flakes fluttering down all around failed to reach further up the winding slope. One could hope for the best. It was always like this as winter started creeping those gray snow clouds into the sky overhead. Each driver had to gamble whether or not they could get their truck through before things got bad. Sometimes it would be fine. The clouds would hold their load, and the drive through would be as mundane as in the spring. Colder, but no more difficult. Sometimes it got bad, as it was now with the snow piling up and any truck stranded in the mountains had better have prepared for it. And sometimes, it got terrible. Pappy had made that mountain run before, made it when it got awful, yet he made it through. 
mostly. It had earned him a booth to himself and a nice thick blanket whenever he stopped in at the Pinnacle Pub. The others let him be, keeping their voices down and generally avoided the side of Pappy's room. They were packed together on the right, sitting two or three to a booth near the cash register at the long bar just across from the door, or leaning on a pool cue around the well-worn billiards table in the back corner planning their shots post-break. The six other patrons had all fallen into lazy conversations after the television had turned to static, overcome with fictional snow, not unlike the torrent just outside the window, the signal of the first victim of the storm outside. The owner didn't let the droning buzz last long or keep the electric lights on. The unsettling flicker drove too much of the exterior anxiety indoors. The steady, muted glow of candlelight, spread throughout several chandeliers and wall-mounted lanterns, was by a wide margin more relaxing. It was a poor way to spend the night, to be honest, but no one was quite ready to fall asleep yet. Packed in with too little light for much activity, it forced terrible boredom upon those gathered that tried on them terribly. And, although not the subtlest creak came from those thick walls, everyone still felt that nagging dread tracked in like so much snow, and it kept them all awake except for Pappy in his private booth, who was lightly breathing in as much tranquility as expected from the man. As though a sign of active defiance, the atmosphere was unbelievably casual for all the prodigious weather outside. Truth be told, None felt the cold of the thing through the solid construction of the Pinnacle Pub. It was expected. These winters that poured snow down in heaps at the first visible breath and then faded away with the coming of the new year, and the business had been built accordingly. The walls were fashioned like those old log cabins, with whole trunks stacked together instead of mere boards, and the windows that peeked out into the night were thickly paned and typically well-curtained. It was a fine bastion against the snow, built decades before by the current owner's father, one who, if it could be imagined, was even gruffer than his son turned out to be. He had built the place to last. It had been assumed that proprietorship would continue down the generations. So far, this duty had been fulfilled. A ceiling fan spun slowly stirring the malaise from settling too heavily into the musky air and casting ignored shadows along the high beams overhead. The candles burned unabated in the chandeliers on either side, protected as they were by the surrounding glass tubes and the lax effort of the rotations. Wilcox and Tugger were the veterans of the group. Most had driven this route for a long time, and many of those gathered were well acquainted. If one did not count Smith or Pappy, which they would say you should not, as Smith was that gruff son turned owner, and Pappy remained sacrosanct after his ordeal, there would be no comparisons for him. Across the booth from Wilcox and Tugger was a rookie to the snow, Lenny, who had run the route enough times to know the regulars but had been fortunate enough to miss the winter runs until that day. I don't believe it. Lenny exclaimed, before stifling himself under the pair of harsh looks. Pappy remained asleep, so they continued. 
Wilcox and Tugger both insisted he confirm their story with Smith. He was not known for lying or casual jokes. The owner was busy acting as a bartender, pouring a drink for one of the pool players while the competition took his shot. A barfly remained welded to his stool nearby, chatting with the other two. Clearly, Smith was busy enough for Lenny to remain seated and humor his companions. In truth, invoking Smith was good enough to keep his doubts, and what they had said did explain a lot about Pappy. After a sip, the pool player returned to the game, and Smith turned his whole attention toward the barfly as Wilcox, Tugger, and Lenny talked of more wholesome things. Pappy remained as he was, just a lumpy, soft-snoring pile barely visible in the shadowed distance. Everyone felt well-prepared for the night ahead, and thus kept the mood as casual as possible. Indeed, it was just casual enough for the slightest interruption to intrude on everything. And that is just what it did. They were so busy being casual that, even though the sun had set hours ago, the one large window up front had yet to be covered with the curtains. There had been a reluctance among a few, a curiosity to watch the progress of the building snow, and although Smith had long overseen the annual gathering and knew the trouble of it, trouble beyond simple isolation, he had allowed it to go on longer than he ought, become distracted by his hosting duties, and forgot about it altogether in the general darkness. Now, every waking eye turned toward a growing light. It was a dim constant that fought terribly to pierce the falling snow, and grew slightly by degrees until the inside of the bar had brightened enough to narrow the eyes of those looking on. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Giant white orbs stared in, and some imagined a mechanical whirring fighting the wind before both disappeared instantly. It had been the headlights of a car, no doubt about it. Not the tall headlights of a big rig, but the little lights of an everyday city car peeking just over the top of the snow. Whoever had thought such a vehicle could manage a night like this was a damned fool. Everyone held the opinion inside. A significant delay lasted between the headlights and the opening of the pub's door. You can believe it struggled to wade through such a snowy depth. Silence filled the room during the interim. A few more experienced patrons considered locking the traveler out, shutting those curtains over the window and hoping the walls were strong enough to silence whatever racket the abandoned might produce. 
But unlike those that had attempted the mountain and hopefully escaped that first snow on their way, those they could only help by hoping, such an act would be plainly condemning whoever was outside to an untimely end. There would be no going up the mountain now, nor back down, if the high snow offered any indication whoever it was had to come inside or face death. The door jerked with a struggling effort and finally flew wide with a great howling. The occupants froze until they confirmed that the wind was roaring out and nothing more, remained frozen until they recognized that the figure entering was human enough. After shaking and swiping the snow from about his face, the newcomer pushed the heavy wooden door before anyone thought to help him. With the wind driven out once more, the room remained quiet but for the man's chilled breathing and snow crunching as he shook it onto the floor. The newcomer looked around when he was more thawed and noticed everyone watching him intently. He had an urban scrawniness and was dwarfed by everyone there. Even Lenny, a stick of a man, was half a head taller. Pappy was held aside from such comparisons, yet he was likely the newcomer's build. This realization showed on the man's face. He wore a thin coat, far too light for the weather outside, and as it betrayed the fearful posture the man adopted, the company silently agreed that it wasn't much good as a coat. Handsome and expensive, it wasn't much in terms of a coat. Clean-shaven and with his hair styled, the man's complete lack of preparation for the winter night was emphasized by such a coat. It was sad. Yet, it seemed as though the newcomer was keen on taking control. Professional. He straightened that coat, sprinkled the last remnants of snow and hesitation about his feet, and stepped. It looked as though he intended to speak, the way his mouth began to open. A blaring ring thwarted the newcomer's attempt. The slow-spinning fan above failed against a sudden stifling heat that drew beads of perspiration to the foreheads of the gathered. Everyone turned toward the payphone on the wall, an artifact still with some use in the modern age, in that place where the high altitude and deep wilderness strangled phone signals to a single bar at the best of times. The newcomer looked around the dimly lit expanse confusion mounting as expressions of horror slowly overtook the other patrons. He gazed at each shadowy figure, standing cult-like among the candles, soaking in their unaccountable responses to such a mundane sound. From Smith and the Barfly, to the pool players, their cues held defensively in their hands, to each of the others similarly paling with fright. They all stared at the ringing phone like they had stared at him, horrified, as though any new thing was an unwanted terror. While everyone else remained frozen in place, the newcomer, astonished by their reactions, walked through the open floor toward the phone, filling the gaps between the rings with his footsteps. Each step fell cautiously and slowed as if the chiming phone warned of physical pain. The progress was steady until the newcomer spied Pappy, his wide eyes peeking over the blanket he clutched up under his nose. This offered only a slight pause before the newcomer redoubled his pace with a newfound determination. There was a mystery here, 
and he would get to the bottom of things, starting with the most urgent one. There seemed a strange sound. It was only of the fifth ring sounding, but it felt contaminated by a gasp as the whole room silently judged him. Everyone's eyes were forced upon him. The room's tension was tangible, as though the white-knuckled hands pressing firmly down on the tables and countertops behind the newcomer were pushing against his very back. As he reached out for the phone, and as the sixth ring fell away, he could hear the clambering of those behind him. Feet pounded, tables wobbled, and chairs screeched as they were pushed out. Drinks were knocked from the tables, and ice clattered to the floor. Then it all stopped as he interrupted the seventh ring. In one motion, the man had pulled the phone to his ear and spun to face the explosion of movement behind him. Everyone froze halfway to him, encircling him, with arms almost outstretched to grab a hold of him, but they had stopped. They waited as he listened to the phone, studying as his expression changed to one of fear. Was it because of them or otherwise? No one else could hear what the man was hearing, even with the near silence of the room, nor did they really want to, not even in a morbidly curious way. Only Pappy had remained at his booth, now raised into a sitting position, his gaze trailed off into the distance, seeing something beyond the walls of the old Pinnacle pub. His lips quivered as though mumbling. No one heard that either. Some noticed his reaction and marked it as extraordinary, for Pappy, but they did not and dared not engage his newfound energy. This all happened in only a brief moment, in the time it might have taken for the phone, if left unanswered, to ring two or three times more. Then, the newcomer reached behind himself and hung up the phone. He just let it drop from his hand onto the hook, never looking away to see how successfully it had landed. Straightening his coat once more, he began walking forward, intent on passing the group. Those in front of him didn't budge, and the others curled around his flanks. Excuse me, I have to be going. They didn't move. They wouldn't yield as he tried to shoulder his way between them. When he roared out, they grabbed his wrist and raised his hand to strike at one man's face. They hefted him by his arms and legs into a large wooden rocker, once just a trivial piece of decoration in the corner of the room, and tied him to it with a long cord of rope that Smith had kept under the bar. The newcomer fought it the whole way. Smith was behind the chair back, arm around the man's neck, digging his elbow into the heaving chest, trying to lean and fall forward. Wilcox and Tugger held his right side firmly, arm and leg, while Lenny struggled against the left leg alone. He got a fierce kick to the face that left him sprawling, though unbloodied. The man tried to rock free with that leg, kicking it back and forth, but he made little progress against Smith's grip and was soon caught as the barfly leapt into his lap, pinning him as the pool players began to spin around him with the rope, tying him up like an insect ensnared by a spider. Soon, everyone backed away to see if the bonds would hold. 
Their prisoner raved but remained pinioned. He's gone mad! Lenny cried as he was pulled to his feet. Like a wild animal! Wilcox and Tugger gave him a knowing look and began leading him toward some better light to look at his bruise. Smith swore to himself bitterly. It wasn't your fault. It's never really anyone's fault. A pool player patted him on the back. We could hardly have expected him to show up like that, and that surprise alone was enough to slow us down. Returning to his seat at the counter and taking another gulp of his drink, the barfly ruminated loudly. What kind of a person picks up a phone like that? He'd had to have known the call wouldn't have been for him. The call is for anyone who will hear it. Everyone slowly turned toward Pappy's private booth. Even the prisoner held off his struggling and snarling momentarily, but Pappy said no more. Those words had the effect of a martial horn. The other men gathered at the center of the open floor, huddling in close and whispering halfway between their prisoner and the door out. There was a mix of stern faces and panicked expressions. They had little dared for such an eventuality, though many of them had prepared for it and talked about it at the very least. A few men split off. One disappeared into the back room and re-emerged a minute or two later. Another went to the door, slid the heavy bolt shut, and jiggled the handle to test the lock's security. A pool player leaned his cue at the base of the stairs as he rushed up to look at the rooms above. Smith returned to the counter and fully unplugged the television before pulling out a short-barreled shotgun and an entire box of shells. A few men watched the prisoner. Lenny paced nervously, uncertain of what he could do to help. He caught sight of the window and rushed over to draw the curtains closed. Smith nodded his approval, which calmed him greatly. The windows upstairs are closed and curtained, and all the other lights are out and the doors are closed. Back room's closed up tight, too. What about the cellar? The only way in there is through the hatch behind the bar. Nothing's coming or going through there. The crowd mumbled a little more, then apprehensively shuffled off to their places. The barfly went back to the bar, but he sat without drinking, so Smith took to leaning and checking the shells for defects, loading the first two that he deemed worthy. Some patrons noticed the weapon for the first time, but none seemed at all concerned about this sudden escalation of the situation. Worried looks were omnipresent but the shotgun brought more comfort than otherwise. The man tied to the old rocker remained hysterical. The hours drained away with little conversation and less drinking. Without a distraction, the erratic ravings of their prisoner grated on nerves unimpeded. The pool players tried to resume their game, but the crack of the balls made everyone jump, and they decided to hang up their cues for the night. Lenny got up to check the windows, making Wilcox and Tugger start and drew a stern look from Smith. He complained about the loudness of the wind and, having pushed aside the heavy curtain just enough to see, said that the snow was coming down in a blur of white. The veterans called him back to his seat. They didn't hear any wind. Pappy dozed, though he was the only one who could. The barfly started pacing after a time, and a fight ensued. 
He had kicked the foot of an idle pool player, and the tension drove them to blows. His pacing had been making others nervous. He declared he was nervous. They said he should be nervous in his seat. Others rose as he got to shouting. They shouted back. Smith pounded a fist on the bar and pointed them back to their places. Their shouting died away, but their prisoner took up the silence. Why don't you just let me go? You all don't want to be here doing this. Just let me go. They all hung their heads in embarrassment, not for their treatment of the man, but for considering his pleading. Smith slowly walked over to the bound man, who fell silent at his approach. Smith crouched down and looked him right in the eyes. His pained expression remained unchanged. Now tell me this, Smith said. What exactly did you hear on that phone? If you tell me rightly, we'll let you go. Smith remained to stare the man in the face. His expression was as stone, even as the room recoiled at his request. The prisoner twitched nervously, as though he was about to laugh at the proposal's absurdity. After a moment of staring into that unchanging face of the owner, he seemed to regain a tiny bit of control. My wife, she was on the phone. She told me my daughter was hurt and I needed to get back to her, to see her. I don't know what you think that phone call was about, but I need to get going. I don't need to know what all this was about, what you think I know. You let me go, and you won't get any trouble out of me. I just need to see that my daughter's okay. Smith shook his head and started to turn away. The man called after him and started wriggling against his bonds again. The onlookers never dared to interrupt. Smith paused and turned back after a moment's consideration. How did your wife know you were here? The man froze. You could see it in his eyes. His mind was racing for an explanation. I don't... I don't know. She knew I was coming this way. Might have guessed I would stop here because of the snow. If the snow stopped you, why would she expect you to be able to get back through it? I don't know. She might not be thinking. I assumed I couldn't go forward, but could make it back. She might have called every place along this road and got lucky here. I don't know. Are you going to hold it against me that I don't know? Smith drew in close again. The prisoner tensed under his scrutiny, digging his bare fingers into the armrests. And why didn't you say anything when you were on the phone? The prisoner stared at him, confused. You didn't say anything. No greeting, no goodbye and certainly know I'm on my way. Why were you silent the entire time if it was your wife? He remained close, staring into the man's eyes. All right, all right, you want to know? He screamed, rocking the chair from side to side with his fervent struggling, the runners lifting off the floor and crashing down again with each thrash. It said you were all a band of murderers! That you trapped people here, tied them up and tortured them. Scum! I won't make it easy. Let me go! Let me go! The owner of the Pinnacle Pub slammed his hands down onto the man's wrists. The rocking chair stayed fixed to the ground. 
The prisoner writhed his arms under his captor's grasp but could not budge him. He tried desperately to twist his hands around, to claw at the offender's arms until he let go, but he couldn't get the angle. With a scream of fury, he lunged his head forward to bite at Smith's face. This wasn't the old bartender's first scrap, and he subdued the man with a quick headbutt, quieting him but for a soft mewling of pain. Those watching the attack eased back into their seats. The barfly tossed over a rag from the counter, and Smith looked it over for a clean spot before pushing it hard against the prisoner's nose, forcing his head back as blood began to soak into the cloth. The bleeding subsided in a few minutes, and Smith tossed the rag toward a trash can. It narrowly missed, landing with a splat on the floor. The whiskers of the owner twitched, but he turned his attention back to the prisoner. He absently wiped a bloody hand on his apron. It would have to be thrown out. The man's face hung down onto his chest. Smith tilted it up with a firm hand on his chin. The furious glint hadn't left the prisoner's eyes, not yet, but the man was quiet. Now, I don't know what you heard over that phone. I don't rightly want to know. No one here wants to know. Smith waved a hand toward those behind him. But I do know what comes afterward. It happens every year. Not necessarily here, but somewhere near here, in these mountains. Someone hears something calling to them, and they need to go, urgently. Won't bother getting into a car. Opening the car door would take too long. Starting the engine would take too long. So they press forward, on foot. Without a lick of sense, they would walk. Even though the snow's coming down hand over fist, they can't see where they're going. The man remained frozen with that icy glare unwilling to contradict him. And you'll feel better in the morning. This is for your own good, so you just sit tight, Smith continued. He hesitated, casting a quick glance towards Pappy. As he was turning to go, the man spoke up. It was quiet at first, but grew in passion with each word. You have no idea, no idea at all. I need to go. It's for the best that I go, my good and yours. Because it isn't picky. Any of you will be good enough for it, but I was the one to answer. It's my responsibility now, my fault. The price I must pay for doing something so foolish. Foolish for answering. Foolish for coming up here where men shouldn't tread, and whether they shouldn't brave. If it doesn't take me, it'll take one of you. You can't stop it. Just let me go and be free of the burden. They gagged him then to muffle the renewed ranting. It helped, but everyone still seemed paler in the dim light. Lenny especially looked about the room with nervous eyes. Idiot. We knew what this is all about. Prepared enough for it. The barfly pierced the silence with a slap to the counter. Smith answered the familiar call by placing a cold bottle in his hand. He took a long drought and stood to address the others. No one's going to be leaving tonight. We've done this before and haven't been bested yet, so just sit tight and think about how silly you'll have sounded in the morning. 
The barfly punctuated the speech by pointing at the prisoner as though those last words were meant solely for him before taking another long drink. Everyone fell back to idling, craving activity to keep the exchange from weighing too much on their minds. Most were successful, but Lenny was too curious not to ask. Had they done it before? Staved this thing off before? Wilcox and Tugger reassured him that they had, but their eyes betrayed a half-truth. They had met there in the Pinnacle Pub annually for several years, but there was no call to be heard. Likely, someone elsewhere had been singled out by whatever force was at work. Pappy had been such a man, driving through the pass like the devil was on his heels. Other times, there had been signs, evidence of something creeping around, but no one had been crazy enough to listen to it. They had kept together, shut out the outside world, and answered no phones. Never had they needed to defend someone singled out before. Mountain shadows. All looked to Pappy, who'd swung his legs out to sit on the end of the bench, letting the heavy blanket sink halfway to the floor. It was easy to see how ragged the older man looked without the thick covering, thin limbs and deep-set eyes. He looked down at the floor, the candlelight above him casting a deep shadow over his facial features. Ain't picky things, but dark and far-reaching and persistent till the sun comes to chase him to the other side. Everyone remained motionless, wondering at Pappy's words. Never one to speak after his experience, and never much of a poet beforehand, the possibility of fighting something in scale and scope of a mountain added a harsher weight to the task at hand. Yet, a familiar chime pulled them back before they could be lost in their imaginative speculation. It was the phone. It was ringing again. All eyes moved between the phone and the struggling prisoner. Each jerk of the arm looked more painful. Each stifled scream was louder, all in tandem with the phone's ring. It rang on and on. No one dared move toward it. None except the man who couldn't. The phone fell silent after seven rings. Heads throughout the room dipped with a collective sigh. They snapped back up as a sizzling pop broke the silence like boiling grease. It was coming from the phone. The receiver was jiggling on the hook. There had been the audible jingle of the coins inside it as the main bulk of the machine shook, slipping it into a slanted position a little lower on the wall. The spiraling cord caught the receiver's fall and swung it back and forth. A large bang flew off to the side, as though dislodged by an unseen explosion. One of the pool players took a half-step forward. He had a mind to hang it up again, a foolish impulse. Another loud bang stopped him, then another drove him a step back. The receiver was banging loudly against the wall. There wasn't enough momentum before to cause a swing so forceful. An unseen power was moving the receiver. It hurtled against the wall as though something was catching it and throwing it, bouncing it off it, building its intensity each time. 
Eyes flew to the rocking chair as the prisoner began to hop toward the swirling receiver. Small bang, large bang, a hop, a bounce, each in kind. Men raced out and grabbed at the back of the chair, halting its progress. Its occupant had stopped screaming, opting to foam hatred through clenched teeth. The rag used to gag him was drenched in drool as he gnawed it. Thus, the banging of the phone continued without rival, faster and faster. Paint chipped and wood splintered from the wall, and the receiver was flying farther and farther out. It was rising out toward the man in the chair. The ringing began again. Ring, ring, bang. Ring, ring, bang. Farther and farther out, the hang time before the receiver fell back away seemed to last longer and longer. It reached the horizontal. If the bound man were closer, it would have reached up to his ear. The ringing became constant, a blaring clamor that grew louder and louder until the gathering had to cover their ears. And then the phone failed to fall back down. It just hovered in the air, pointing toward the newcomer, flailing as though taken by a strong wind. The man strained against his bonds with an intensity that bulged in his eyes and cords of his neck, and those around him feared that he might break free, regardless of the ropes, so they threw their arms around him to hold him back. Hands clutched at his face as they tried to pry his gaze away from the phone. A booming roar cut through the ringing. The body of the phone folded open with jagged teeth of metal. The phone book next to it burst into shredded pieces. The receiver flew to the ground, the cord whipping out from the base so that it landed with a spin. A cascade of small change fell to the ground and clattered out under chairs and bodies. One coin rolled a long way out, its metallic tinkling the only sound remaining of the carnage. It caught in a groove between two floorboards, and silence returned to the room. Everyone turned towards Smith. He lowered the shotgun and nonchalantly pulled the spent casings out. As he set the gun on the counter, open and awaiting more ammo, everyone else slowly resumed their waiting. Those holding the prisoner rose and turned him back around. The man focused on the receiver the whole time, twisting his neck painfully to look beyond the headrest. The barfly shrugged and picked it up on the way to his seat. He tossed it over the man's shoulder and into his lap. It can't do any harm now. An hour passed and the snow was deepening. The pool games had resumed for a time and ceased, and everyone had fallen into a lack of conversation, leaving only the fidgeting and fiddling of empty glasses to stave off complete silence. Lenny had taken to pacing, undeterred by the unvoiced protest of the eyes upon him. He pulled aside the heavy curtain in front of the main window to check the progress outside. The snow was over the lip and climbing up the window's glass showing the depth to be higher than his waist. Only by that steady climb and the occasional touch against the glass could they see the snow falling unabated. Soft light from the candles turned the visible snow into a glowing bar. Beyond it was nothingness, 
the falling snowflakes were utterly lost in the night's blackness. He lingered too long, looking out into the darkness. The others shooed Lenny away, letting the curtain fall back into place. Lenny's hard footsteps on the wood floor gave way to silence once again as he settled back into his seat. That terrible, gnawing silence plagued everyone's mind throughout the night. It was an accomplice to whatever force lurked beyond, weakening their willpower and letting darker thoughts bubble up from their subconscious. Someone slapped a hand hard against the table. Everyone looked around for the source of this defiance. One of the pool players stood up abruptly and walked over to Smith, who had taken once again to leaning next to the cash register. Know what I could go for? A midnight snack. What do you got on hand, Smith? Others perked up at the mention, and the owner cocked his head and thought. He had a few things ready, but if enough people wanted, he could prepare the kitchen early, hours earlier than a typical morning. Enough people were wanting. This was a special occasion. He took orders, pointing to tables and hearing them call out their wants. The crowd laughed at the bold orders and jeered at the less palatable concoctions, onions and peanut butter. Everyone was hunching less as the crushing anxiety was slowly pushed aside. Then the barfly went too far. After licking a few remaining drops of beer from his otherwise long empty glass, he called out to the bound man, asking what he would want. Their prisoner didn't answer, or instead, he answered someone else. As the focus drew upon him, everyone straightened in surprise. He had gotten the phone to his ear. Somehow, though his hands remained tied to the armrests of the old rocking chair, he had gotten the phone receiver to his ear. The man had it pinched between his shoulder and chin, whispering into it through his gag, with enough pauses to suggest a conversation. Everyone started again, throwing their eyes toward the creaking of a floorboard. Lenny was out of his seat and approaching the man. Had he been pacing again and they didn't notice? Everyone gawked at him, wondering what he could possibly be thinking, and while they dared not move, they wondered too what harm could be done by his approach. The man with the phone ignored them all, Lenny and the other eavesdroppers both. The sudden attention had frozen Lenny mid-step, but he turned his course toward the prisoner without the accustomed scolding he had received all night. The floor continued to creak, though not as dramatically as that first unexpected time. Each careful step rhythmically drummed tension back into the air. Still, the prisoner talked on without looking up. Even when Lenny stopped and stood before him, he nearly touched him knee to knee. Smith had taken the shotgun into his hands, frozen with a shell kissing the threshold as he reloaded it. Suddenly, Lenny struck out with his hand, and everyone leapt from their positions, though it wasn't obvious if they intended to charge into action or flee from the fallout. The bound man stared mutely at the rookie in front of him. 
The calmness of his expression contrasted the fanatical madness of his previous actions in a horrible way. Everyone had prepared for the worst, expecting the phone clattering to open some demonic cacophony from whatever monster was speaking through it. They expected some form of rage at being thwarted again, blaring out of the night to exact an unknowable, believably loathsome revenge. But the phone receiver never hit the hardwood floor. Lenny had not knocked the phone receiver off the other man's shoulder. He had grabbed it. Everything was painfully silent as he put the thing to his ear. The room seemed to grow darker with the ominous movement of the rising receiver. Skin chilled and grew goose pimples. Stomachs twisted slowly into a knot. Sobriety sledged all drowsiness and lethargy from the mind, preparing it to process what Lenny did. There was an eternity of waiting. It broke with a shrug and a laugh, a small amused chuckle. Everyone looked at each other, figuring out what had happened and what this response meant. Smith was no different. He finished thumbing the shell into the awaiting shotgun. Lenny offered one final laugh before casually tossing the phone away, where it tumbled to join the other twisted pieces on the floor. There was nothing. He's just a crazy man mumbling into a piece of junk. Everyone sighed, smiled, and sank back into their seats as the overwhelming tension subsided. Smith snapped the shotgun closed unwittingly having only reloaded one of its barrels. In celebration, one of the pool players rolled a ball into a corner pocket. Wilcox and Tugger laughed mightily together, praising the rookie's courage. The barfly slapped the counter for another round before reminding Smith of the food orders everyone had placed. They were all so consumed by relief that no one paid Lenny any mind until he had his hand on the heavy handle of the front door. Wilcox and Tugger were the first ones on their feet. The others just managed to look up. Hearing the sudden movement of the others, Lenny threw the door open to a blast of cold air. A deafening wind howled through the building, and flakes of snow began shooting past the man. They never knew if the wind picked up as a dramatic reaction to the door opening or if it had risen naturally and the thick walls of the building had kept the roar of it suppressed. Either way, its ferocity stung their eyes and rocked the chandeliers so hard that half their candles flickered out. As soon as the door was open, Lenny leapt into the night and soon faded away the only trace of him becoming the dark silhouette of his legs as they furrowed through the snow. Everyone was on their feet except the prisoner and Pappy, one still tied to his seat and the other with his blanket pulled up below his bulging, fearful eyes. Both were electric with activity. The bound man was pounding his feet up and down as fast as he could in the form of mock running, and all believed thereafter that he had come close he would have shot out the door, racing Lenny for some ungodly privilege. On the other hand, Pappy moved nothing except his mouth, which shrilly cried out, The ache of the wanderer is in the feet and the stomach! The ache of the wanderer is in the feet and the stomach! 
The rest of the company crowded the door, gathering there on the threshold as Lenny disappeared into the night. Even Smith had come out from behind the bar to stand with the others. They knew it was his end and had gathered to see him off. Lenny would likely freeze out in the cold, a fact made more evident by the black shape of his discarded coat lying out where he had torn it from his shoulders. Yet all tarried there where it was warm and well-lighted. It was not so much their fear of the weather or their lack of empathy for the man that held them back, but all courage was strangled out of them regardless. After a minute or so, they closed the door and returned to their stations. Pappy had fallen back asleep, as did their prisoner, seemingly exhausted by the sudden excitement, or did they know that the ordeal was over and no good would come from insomnia? When the dawn came a few hours later and the plows thundered through, clearing the deepest parts of the road, everyone went on their way. Lenny's abandoned truck was eventually granted a new driver who took it over the pass. He did not ask any questions about his predecessor, and no one knew for sure if he had driven that route. The rest drove out too, leaving Smith and Pappy alone for a spell before Pappy went back down the mountain toward the towns below. The payphone was never replaced, and the following year, the curtain was promptly drawn, the television was curtly unplugged, and no one dared forget the sight of Lenny bounding out into the deep snow with a lanky figure striding easily alongside him. You've been listening to Settle Ye Wanderer by Pendleton Weiss. Author Pendleton Weiss's work can be found here on our very own network where their story, Flesh and Blood, has also been adapted for your audio enjoyment. Thank you so much for tuning in this evening. I'm your host, Eric Peabody, and I'll see you right here next week. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Horror Hill Podcast, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's episode was hosted by, and its featured tale performed by, yours truly, Eric Peabody. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Felipe Ojeda. Finalization by Craig Groshek and S.K. Brown. Got a terrifying tale of your own that you'd like performed? I do take submissions. Email it to us today at submissions at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your work considered for future production. If you enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, please subscribe to us to make sure that you never miss an episode and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. 
Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on social media to connect any time and get the latest updates on this and our other programs. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every week. And don't forget to hit the thumbs up button to let us know how we're doing and leave a kind comment. Lastly, don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archives and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, you can hear more of my work on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights podcast. However, I will be back next week with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. If darkness is what you're after, listener, your search is over. Yet, let it be known, you haven't found the darkness. The darkness has found you. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 